Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. <laughs> and Brenna, it's another mini-sode that is like packed to the gills. So much mini-sode action! <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have to say I'm excited to talk about a bunch of these topics, if only because it means we're not talking about Percy Jackson anymore. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not gonna lie, listening to that episode while I was editing it, I do maybe feel like we were having a bit of a bad day, and yeah. we just came down really hard on both those <laughs> properties so apologies to any rick rarden fans i think i mean i said this in the episode but i think it's really true like i really needed that to be a more escapist experience than it was <laughs> so yes. definitely like we've talked about this before the book finds you at the wrong time i just yeah no mm -mm. Mm -hmm. here's hoping that trinkets works better for us next week i hope so i read the first page look at me okay <laughs> Progress, progress. <laughs> but we are not talking about that just yet because no. we are here to talk about our May-June forecast. We have yes. a little bit of homework to catch yes. up on. And also we have a special interview with Alex Heaney. Yay, friend of the show, Alex. Yes, yeah. she's here to talk to us about an ebook which has a number of chapters on coming-of-age films from Canadian filmmakers that yes. have only come out in the last few years. Yes, I was totally excited to hear about this project, and I think that it <laughs> made me realize how out of date my knowledge is. It's all good. I'm looking forward to the book. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, Brenna, why don't you kick us off with a homework update? What are you reading and or watching? Oh, I am. I'm reading. Like, that okay. is the headline. The headline is that I am reading. <laughs> Oh my god! I know it's been so long. So I actually have two books in progress, both of which I wanted to tell readers about. One is forthcoming. It'll be out in September and I want people to write it down. Really? September, Brenna? I know. Well, too bad. <laughs> if we wait till September to talk about it, I will have forgotten about it. Fair enough. Okay. And um, the other one is like a backlist title that I think people might want to check out. So I'm going to start with the the one that's coming soon because I'm it's the one I'm closest to finished. I've got about 50 pages left. Um, okay. And it's by your fave and mine, Tiffany D. Jackson. <gasps> yes. yes. And remind us, who is Tiffany D. Jackson? Tiffany D. Jackson is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Just blanket statement. Just blanket statement. So Tiffany D. Jackson wrote, allegedly, Monday's Not Coming and Let Me Hear a Rhyme, all three of which we've talked about on the show before. Mm-hmm. And folks will remember, I did an update on Monday's Not Coming, wherein I threatened to end the podcast because Brenna had not adequately prepared me for how much that book would destroy me. Yes, yes. So Tiffany D. Jackson is the master mistress of um, twists and mm -hmm. of shock and yeah. of really, really resonant emotional characterizations. Yes, yeah. So what's the new book like? The new book is called Grown. And okay. I'm going to read you the brief synopsis. So it starts off with a body, basically. Like you open the book and the main character believes she's covered in beet juice. And you realize oh, no. it's not beet juice. So the synopsis says, Corey Fields is dead. When Enchanted Jones wakes up with blood on her hands and zero memory of the previous night, no one, the police and Corey's fans included, has more questions than she does. All she really knows is that this isn't how things are supposed to be. Corey was Enchanted's ticket to stardom. Before there was a dead body, Enchanted was an aspiring singer, struggling with her tight-knit family's recent move to the suburbs while trying to find her place as the lone black girl in high school. But then legendary R&B artist Corey Fields spots her at an audition, and suddenly her dreams of being a professional singer take flight. 
Enchanted is dazzled by Cory's luxurious life, but soon her dream turns into a nightmare. Behind Cory's charm and star power hides a dark side, one that wants to control her every move with rage and consequences. Except now he's dead, and the police are at the door. Who killed Cory Fields? All signs point to Enchanted. Hmm. It's so good! So, the, um... The opening of the book, she has like an author's note where she's like, this is not a book about R. Kelly. This is totally a book about R. Kelly. Oh, no, that's right. You had teased me with something like this. And I was very intrigued. Okay, so it's not about R. Kelly. This is like, what if one of those girls murdered her some R. Kelly? That's what this book is about. (laughs) Wow. But done by masterclass. I was going to say by masterclass. So the way she has it structured is it's in three parts, I think, unless there's a fourth part coming up. I'm towards the end of the book now and I'm in part three. And um, it sort of charts Enchanted's progress through this relationship slash this attempt to get into the music industry. But also each chapter sort of opens with a now sketch, which is at this crime scene. And then the rest of the chapter is a then sketch of their meeting and then the way he controls her, her Mm. attempts to escape, his ways of getting her back. And so he is very much the, he's very much the aggressor, the abuser throughout the narrative, except in these little sketches in the now section where we still Mm. really don't know what happened. I don't know what happened and I'm 50 pages from the end because it's Tiffany D. Jackson. I'm not going to know till three pages after it's done what actually happened. (laughs) So is Enchanted another famous Tiffany D. Jackson unreliable narrator? Yes, yes, I think so. But not in the same way as some of the other protagonists. Um, Enchanted really wants to believe in this narrative that Corey spins for her about how they're going to be like the next Jay-Z and Beyonce. Right. And he plays on that, right? Because I guess Jay-Z and Beyonce are like 12 years apart or whatever, or 13 years apart. So he like plays on that idea. Oh, no. It's very, very, very well done and very tense. Uh, and part of the reason why I'm actually like reading it and moving through it so quickly is because you can't, you can't put it down. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so basically what you're saying is she's done it again. Yes, she's done it again. And it's not out until September 15th, but I checked on two different library websites and it's available for hold at lots of libraries. So I would get oh. your hands on it first so that okay. you can know the twist before your friends. <laughs> and then hold it over them like Brenna is doing to me right now. <laughs> yes, correct. Correct. Okay. Yes. So that's grown by Tiffany D. Jackson out in September. Excellent. Yes. And in case Joe can't edit that out, we all know I have company right now. <laughs> so to acknowledge my company is very noisy today. Hmm. It's going to be a long, however long this whole thing is going to go on. Yes. Real, real yeah. long. It's fine. We have a a joint co-host on the podcast. (laughs) Hey, so Joe, I can't remember if I said this on the air or just to you, but I read Beautiful Boy a few months back. I think you just sent it to me. Yeah. So for those who aren't familiar, Beautiful Boy was adapted into a film with... Oh, Timothy Chalamet. Yes. Chalamet. And Steve Carell. Yes. Yes. Um, Which I have not seen the film, although I want to, but I loved the book. That book, Beautiful Boy, is about the dad dealing with um, his son's addiction to methamphetamines. Yes. Among other things. I think in the film they make it more about heroin, but in the book it's more about methamphetamines. And uh, I really loved it. It freaked me out, like as a mom. (laughs) But I really loved it. Anyway, 
so that was written by, I can't remember his first name, but his name is Chef, S-C-H-E-F-F, the author of Beautiful Boy. Anyway, his son, Nick Chef, has actually written two memoirs as well about his experiences. And I'm reading right. Tweak, which is subtitled Growing Up on Methamphetamines. Okay. And it's a hard read. Like I read a chapter at a time and then I go and have some feelings about it. Okay. <laughs> but, but he does a really beautiful job of humanizing the experience of addiction, particularly addiction to street drugs. Folks with those issues tend to be really marginalized, but Nick Chef has come from a really privileged background and has leveraged his father's fame to be able to tell this story. Right. It's sometimes frustrating in both father and son's books that they don't always recognize that privilege that they're coming to the conversation with. Yeah, and what's strange is it actually comes out in the film as well. You're oh, does like, it really? Oh, white people have <laughs> problems, but also they can afford to do all sorts of things because they have that kind of privilege. Yes. In the book, you learn a lot about just how financially precarious the situation is becoming for his parents. Mm. But still, like, they still have a lot of resources to draw on. Okay. And Nick Chef, likewise, is... There's actually kind of a lot of privileges at play, not least his ability to articulate his experiences. Like, he's very literate, and his prose is very mm -hmm. literary, and there's a way in which he is able to make you sort of challenge... Care? Well, care, but also challenge your own assumptions about street drug use in a okay. way that is very unsettling. Because you're like, hmm. oh, wow, I'm reacting this way because this white boy from a good family is describing it in extremely literary terms, and like, I have right. to step back and think about that. But what I like about Tweet most of all is that it very much is written for a young audience. So it very much feels like a YA memoir, oh. which is not something we typically see. No. So anyway, Tweet, growing up on methamphetamines, particularly if you read Beautiful Boy or saw the film, Nick Chef is quite critical of his father and his father's use of his story of addiction as a way to kind of make a name for himself as an author, too. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But Nick is also... Profiting, profiting like off of that yeah. profiting, right? So it's like, it's uncomfortable at times. But he's a really good writer. And it's uh, a compelling look at something we don't read a lot of young person's narratives of. So I do recommend right. it. Yeah, Interesting. Okay, so my homework update is I'm reading a book that I talked about in the last forecast, which I believe was back in February. Oh my god. I know, right? <laughs> Because we're doing two months now, it's like, what did I talk about? Two months is an eternity ago. <laughs> it's especially an eternity ago right now. Remember February, yeah. Joe? Remember grocery stores? No, I do not. No, I do not. <laughs> so I am reading The Lucky Ones by Liz Lawson. And folks, you may remember that this is the book about the survivor of the school shooting. Oh, right. Yes. So it, it has two characters. There's May, and her brother was killed in the attack along with several other students and her favorite teacher, who was the band teacher. And she's the only survivor of that tragedy. Yes. Okay. I remember you discussing this one now, and I remember adding it to my hold list before the library stopped. Right. <laughs> and then the other character is Zach. And Zach is the son of the attorney who has taken on the case of the shooter so the shooter lived and has been sent away to jail but the mom is working on his case so basically both of these kids are 
damaged and tortured in different ways until, of course, they start to come together and realize that they have a connection with each other. So it pushes them apart, but it also brings them together. Mm -hmm. And we talked about this as this book sounds great. Maybe it's not the right time for it. Mm -hmm. It's a really good, enjoyable read. I like the way that Liz Lawson writes it. The characters feel very authentic, but they're also very relatable. The big issue for me is just that they are both so angry. Mm. May is mad at everybody because no one knows how to talk to her. So her parents lost their favorite child and then they're stuck with her. So she's kind of the ghost living in the house. They either don't know or they can't be bothered to work with her on the grief. They're more interested in launching lawsuits and trying to like get money from the school board and who can they blame. It sounds a lot richer than I thought it was when you first described it. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's not simple. They're they're very much going, or Liz Lawson is really going into the complexities. And then Zach, I think, is actually also a really interesting character because typically in these narratives, we're used to the survivor, right? Yes. And in this case, Zach is completely unrelated to everything except that may is tagging his house because she hates his mom so like he wakes up and his dad is out of work and can't be bothered to take care of the kids so zach is actually looking after his younger sister and they walk out to go to school one day and the word bitch is just emblazoned on their garage in like 10 story letters oh my god So everyone at school has abandoned him because they feel for May and the other people from the school shooting and they're basically judging him based on the actions of his mom. And he doesn't even like his mom. He's fighting with his mom all the time. So it's meaty and it's uncomfortable and it's really hard in a certain way because May and Zach are both just so angry at everyone Like, it's written from both of their respective point of views, so you're just kind of mired in their anger for so much of this book. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm finding it really compelling and enjoyable. So that is The Lucky Ones by Liz Lawson. Not an easy read, but yeah, I would recommend it strongly. Awesome. I really want to read it now. (laughs) The Mm -hmm. stuff about the family dynamic really grabbed me. Yeah, and the, and the fact that they're moving towards a romance, like I'm I'm about 150 pages in, so I don't quite know where it's going. I get the sense that they will both come out of this okay, but there is there's even like a little bit of mystery about what May's connection was to the shooter that's like lurking on the fringes. It's good. It's really good. I like it. Very cool. Okay, mm-hmm. right on. Okay. So why don't we dive into our interview conversation with Alex so that we can learn a little bit more about the great sounding ebook that she and her team at the seventh row are putting together and folks be prepared because Alex is going to give you a laundry list of great Canadian films that you should be earmarking. Mm -hmm. And now for something completely different. Okay, so we're joined by Alex Heaney from our friends at the 7th Row podcast and also website. And folks, you may remember Alex because she guested on our Hunger Games episode. Yay. Alex, good to have you back. Thanks so much for having me. My executive editor, Orla Smith, and I like to think that we're your biggest fans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you have other fans, but we're like, we love your podcast. Aw, we'll take it. I have to ask you if you're excited about the forthcoming Hunger Games prequel next month. Gotta say, not really. <laughs> Me neither. Yay! <laughs> spit take, spit take. I was trying to drink a bit of coffee there. <laughs> oh, dear. 
It seems like the least interesting like prequel they could do. I yep. just love the fact that she chose to frame it on a white man. But thanks for that. <laughs> Suzanne Collins, good job. Yeah, I um I this is like a contractual <laughs> obligation kind of like it has that vibe for me. I'm just like, really? Oh, oh no. Does that mean you're gonna read it or also that you're gonna cover it? Joe's making me cover it. We do have oh, tentative boy. plans to cover it. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, you poor thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. But Alex, that is not why we have brought you on here. You have something very exciting to share with our listeners. Uh, yes, at Seventh Row, we've published an ebook called the 2019 Canadian Cinema Yearbook, and it's something that we're doing every two years to sort of celebrate Canadian cinema, where we kind of pick out the films that we think are the most exciting, and we talk to the filmmakers and write some essays about either the films or like upcoming talent, and put it all together as sort of the guide to Canadian cinema. And of course, a lot of Canadian cinema is coming of age stories, so mm-hmm. there's a lot of YA stuff in there. Which I'm super excited about because I do feel like it's something that people overlook. Like, it's so easy to talk about prestige Canadian cinema. And I feel like a lot of the time people don't associate that with coming of age narratives, even though it totally applies. Yeah, there's like amazing coming of age films that came out of Canada. And I was just like rereading my introduction to the section and was noticing, oh, there's like a lot of tropes in here that I've heard Joe and Brenna talk about. <laughs> not that tropes are bad there's a reason no, no. that tropes exist <laughs> we're fans of tropes we just like them to be done well <laughs> and therein lies the issue right so alex what are some of the titles that people can look forward to seeing you and the fine folks at seventh row chatting about in the ebook so one of them is i know a favorite of yours which is giant little ones Yay! it's so good it's so good <laughs> i do not know this one somebody tell me something Uh, So this is, (laughs) sorry, it's like, how do you even begin? This is a film that came out a couple of years ago, and it's just a really nice kind of quiet, nostalgic coming-of-age film about a boy. He gets labeled as queer because of an incident that happens with him and his best friend, and it takes place in a small town. I think it's in Ontario, Alex? Yeah, yeah, it's Sault Ste. Marie, which on our podcast you called Cosmopolitan. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i stand by that statement (laughs) but uh yeah so it's basically just how he deals with the fallout of being branded queer and how it affects his relationship with his best friend he ends up falling in with his best friend's sister who is troubled and she's like a bad girl because she's got a reputation but the film is just a really quiet slice of life film but it's gorgeously shot and the performances are achingly genuine i love it it sounds amazing I always think of, when I think of Canadian coming-of-age film, I always think of The Hanging Garden as my very most favorite example. And it sounds like it has echoes. Well, funny you should say that because The Hanging Garden, that's Tom Fitzgerald or is that actually? It's Tom Fitzgerald. Yeah, Tom yeah. Fitzgerald, because we yeah. actually have a, another film by Tom Fitzgerald in our book. <gasps> Which one? Um, although it's unfortunately like impossible to find. I don't know what they've done with it. So this is maybe not the best one to talk about, but it's called <laughs> Splinters. Oh, and it is sort of like a coming of age, but like sort of a like a 20 something coming of age story. Right. Yeah, directed by him. I don't know what his deal is, but like they just disappeared this film after TIFF. No. Oh, wow. Like it did a festival circuit and now like I can't find it anywhere. Mm. And the production company doesn't answer emails. So I don't know what that oh, one, no. what's going on with it. Oh, no. 
That seems misguided. And yet, I think one of the trappings that Canadian films sometimes fall into is that they can have splashy festival premieres, mm -hmm. but then trying to find distribution or even exhibition like I know that it's far more complicated than regular people know to secure yeah. licenses, but it's just such a shame when you hear great things about festival films and then you can't find them anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, so I mean, fortunately, that's the only one that's not available. Like there was one film, which is a documentary called First Stripes, which the idea behind it was it was supposed to be sort of like a young adult coming of age or about, well, not young adult. I shouldn't say that on this podcast. <laughs> it's like a 20-something, like an, an early adulthood. New adult. New adult. Mm -hmm. Okay, new mm -hmm. adult coming of age, which is a documentary about basic training at, in the Canadian military. Oh, wow. And it was gone for two years. It just like, Ugh. the NFB just like held it close to their chest for two years. I don't know why. But anyway, now it's available. You can get it anywhere in the world. And it's amazing. And like, I'll look at the Canadian military, which how rare is that? Mm. Yeah. That so that's really another one that you're covering in the book? Yeah, yeah. And that one is actually, it's kind of interesting because the editor of that is sort of this new talent, this Canadian talent that we're spotlighting in the book with a, like, one of the only, maybe the only English language interview out there with him. Oh, Because wow. he's done, like, everything. He's kind of a genius. So he mm. also did Genez, which is another coming of ager that's in our book. And The Great Darkened Days. But he's also done like, he's done all of Anne Amon's films, except for the most recent one. Anyway, there's like, if you look at Quebecois films, a huge chunk of them that are well edited are him. Oh, cool. Wow. Okay. Well, that's exciting. So it sounds like you've got a nice range from both across Canada, as well as, you know, a mixture of YA new adult and then of course i'm sure there's adult films that you're covering in there as well yeah yeah when we were sort of thinking about the coming of age chapter we ended up having to split into two because there were so many lgbtq stories we wanted mm. to sort of separate those but i mean all of those are kind of coming of age stories as well alex right yeah does new waterford girl get a shout out oh. i think we're only talking about new films we're only talking about <sighs> films from 20 that like premiered in 2018 or 2019 oh wow okay so it's so no no, no, so not. Uh, well, no, I don't think I actually talk about it in there, though. I, I love it. I just rewatched it yesterday. Did you really? That's yeah, because awesome. I, love I that just movie. found out it's on YouTube. And it's, oh, God, I love it. Yeah. Actually, our listeners, it's a great one to pair with something like Never Rarely. Always, sometimes. That's the one <laughs> that sometimes, we talked about uh, a couple weeks back. Yeah, it's just another look at teen girls and. And the way they're sort of treated by society uh, that is depressing. <laughs> but it's also very funny in lots of ways. Yeah, I think that's a, a little bit warmer. <laughs> yes, warmer. That's the word. Well, in Canadian Connection, you know, the creepy guy that they meet on the bus mm -hmm. is played by Theodore Pellerin, who is actually a Quebecois actor, who is the star of Genèse. And Justine Smith kind of fell in love with his performance and that so did I. He's so amazing. One of the things we have in our book is like a complete career profile where we go in depth talking about like all of his performances to date. So his predates never rarely, sometimes always. But yeah, he's amazing and Canadian. Yeah, yeah. I I remember seeing that there was a prominent Canadian, well, prominent two Canadians in the cast <laughs> of that. But <laughs> Brennan and I didn't much like his character, no. so we didn't give him a lot of time. <laughs> oh yeah, no, he was so creepy, but like wonderfully creepy. So yes, creepy. like excellently portrayed. Also, yeah. Joe, prominent Canadian slash prominent to Canadians made me think of like assistant manager versus assistant to the manager. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, no, part I got of the it. reason, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Part of the reason, Alex, that we wanted to have you on here, and shortly after this, we'll we'll get you to plug where people can actually access the book. But yes. mm. I just think it's so important to shine a spotlight on some of these different texts. And I think in particular, the reason that I was excited to hear about the ebook is because it does cover a bunch of recent films. Mm-hmm. It's so tempting to say, oh, there are stalwarts of Canadian cinema. And I feel like, you know, people, yeah, they think of Hanging Garden, New Waterford Girl, Cronenberg, and all these other things. And it's like, yeah, but there's a bunch of emerging talent or really great prominent films that people should take note of that have just recently come out. But we don't talk about Canadian cinema as much as we should. From our perspective, too, one of the things we come back to over and over again is that we have all this great Canadian YA literature that we don't get to talk about on the show because it so rarely gets adapted. And yet there's all this great YA coming of age film in Canada. But there's like this Yeah, this it's never gap, the two shall meet. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, your, your ebook is like getting at some content that we would love to have the opportunity to spend more time and attention on on this show for sure. Mm-hmm. So Alex, if people are interested in checking it out, how do they find it? Yeah, so you can go to uh, CanadianCinemaBook.com. That's a bit on the nose, Alex. Gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that tells you about like how much other people are doing this, that that URL you is available. You have the book. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, we also have info about like where you can stream these in Canada, the US, the UK, Australia. Actually, a lot of them are on the NFB or CBC Gem or Crave. So Okay. Yeah. That's excellent. And the book is available now? Yeah, it's available now. It's available as an EPUB or a PDF. And if you go to CanadianCinemaBook.com and purchase a copy, you'll get it immediately. Awesome. That's fantastic. Congratulations on this project, Alex. It sounds phenomenal. Thank you. And thanks so much for having me on. Anytime. Uh, pleasure. We love having you. <laughs> and now for something completely different. Okay, so Brenna, let's wrap up this mini-sode with a little bit of forecasting. So we are covering the months of May and June. Yeah. All of mine are in May. Oh, really? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So one thing that Joe and I realized is that publishing is moving a lot of release dates to later in the summer. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of concern about what book releases look like when folks can't tour. Yeah. And I've noticed that it's particularly seems to be anyway, the June dates yes. that are getting pushed so um and june does tend to be splashier titles maybe that's why but yeah so all of mine have ended up being in may okay i have one that's in very late june so i wonder if it's uh mm-hmm. <laughs> it just happened to have a lucky time slot and they think well that's close enough to july so we'll just keep it there <laughs> yeah i think maybe <laughs> okay so what's your first one so my first one is clap when you land by elizabeth acovedo <gasps> i don't recognize that name at all <laughs> All right. All right. (laughs) Listeners know that I really, really love formal innovation in YA and Elizabeth Acovedo is like the person I trust to innovate formally. She's a poet and she writes, she wrote The Poet X, which was one of my best books of last year. Mm -hmm. So Clap When You Land is another novel in verse. Yes. And I'll read you the description. Camino Rios lives for the summers when her father visits her in the Dominican Republic. But this time, on the day when his plane is supposed to land, Camino arrives at the airport to see crowds of crying people. In New York City, Yaharia Rios is called to the principal's office, where her mother is waiting to tell her that her father, her hero, has died in a plane crash. Separated by distance and by Pappy's secrets, the two girls are forced to face a new reality in which their father is dead and their lives are forever altered. And then, when it seems like they've lost everything of their father, they learn about each other. Okay. 
it took me a moment. <laughs> and then I got it. Yeah. And then I got sucked in. I know. I know. I'm so excited for this one. Secret family. We've got secret <laughs> family. We've got privilege and opportunity. We've got, there's some apparently pretty frank discussion of like colorism and right. privilege. I'm really excited for this kind of exploration of immigration narratives and the narratives of those who get you know, quote unquote, left behind, what mm -hmm. that looks like. I'm just really, really excited. Plus, I love a family secret. I love a family right. secret. I love a little bit of poetry. I am so here for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this doesn't sound like a story that I've heard before. No. And the elements that are familiar, I think, are just going to be completely subverted by those different elements. Yes, I know. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. So that one comes out uh, really early in May, which I think is why it didn't get a bump. So May 5th, get it on your holds list or pre-order it. Now it's Clap When You Land by Elizabeth Acovedo. Okay. Well, I will counter with a different book that comes out on May 5th. Nice. Called The Mermaid, the Witch, and the Sea by Maggie Taduka Hall. Okay, that's a great title. I know. Yeah, so I tried <laughs> to find a couple of different options in terms of genre and audience. So this one is a little bit more of the fantasy. Makes sense. Okay, Go for it. so here's the description. Aboard the pirate ship Dove, Flora the girl takes on the identity of Florian the man to earn the respect and protection of the crew. For Flora, former starving urchin, the brutal life of a pirate is about survival. Don't trust, don't stick out, and don't feel. But on this voyage, as the pirates prepare to sell their unsuspecting passengers into slavery, Flora is drawn to Lady Evelyn Hasegawa, who is en route to a dreaded arranged marriage with her own casket in tow. Okay, that's metal. Right? <laughs> Flora doesn't expect to be taken under Evelyn's wing, and Evelyn doesn't expect to find such a deep bond with the pirate Florian. Soon the unlikely pair set in motion a wild escape that will free a captured mermaid, coveted for her blood, which causes men to have visions and lose memories, and involve the mysterious pirate supreme, an opportunistic witch, and the all-encompassing sea itself. Doesn't that just sound yes. like great escapism right now? Yes. Yes, it does. Also, I am officially only ever going to weddings with my own casket in tow from now on. Mine or other people's. <laughs> <laughs> like, give me marriage and also give me death. It's so good. <laughs> so I think what I like about this is that it's got elements of myth and fantasy and it feels kind of like a fairy tale, but mm -hmm. it's written by a person of color. It sounds like there might be a little bit of queer love going on in mm -hmm. there. And then mermaids and witches and pirates. Oh my. I cannot remember the last time I was interested in a pirate narrative, so I'm right? pretty excited. Yeah, girl pirates too. Girl pirates, even better. <laughs> so that is The Mermaid, The Witch, and The Sea, and it's out on May 5th. Cool. Okay, my second pick is called Breath Like Water by Anna Jarzab, and it's out mid-May, uh, May 19th. So, you know, we've talked a lot about how we really like, particularly when young women protagonists have interesting hobbies or some kind of like obsession that we don't get to read about very often. We get to kind of learn about that world. No, keep them in the kitchen. That's all I want. <laughs> this is one of those stories, but about swimming. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, the logline is when swimming is everything, what's left when your life doesn't go according to plan. And uh, heads up, this has a lot of, this is getting a lot of buzz for being a, a YA book dealing with Me Too issues. 
So, okay. Here's the synopsis. A world champion swimmer at 14, Susanna Ramos's changing body has betrayed her. She struggles to maintain her edge in the pool just two years later. Now a manipulative coach and crippling self-doubt feel like insurmountable hurdles as Susanna fights to regain both her self-confidence and a spot in the upcoming Olympic trials. A handsome newcomer to the team turns into more than just a friend, and Susanna must rethink her priorities as she works to regain her elite athletic status. Blossoming romance is soon challenged by pressures from the swim team and difficult secrets coming to light. Jarzeb expertly captures the intense pressures of a high-stakes athletic competition and the complicated reality of loving someone with mental health struggles. Susanna's family's Mexican-American heritage is significant to the plot, and themes of identity and feeling like an outsider in a predominantly white sport are explored authentically. Mm. Susanna is third-generation Mexican-American and growing up in suburban Illinois. Readers will root for Susanna in her journey to find her place both in and out of the pool. I should actually say that's the Kirkus review because I liked its synopsis a lot better <laughs> than the right. one on the back of the book. Okay. So I like the idea of young women as elite a- elite athletes in literature. Mm-hmm. I don't think we see it enough. No. Um, and obviously there's a whole bunch else going on in here around, you know, third generation struggles and mental health issues and maybe a coach who's not such a good coach and all right. that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah, so that one's out May 19th. It's Breath Like Water by Anna Jarzab. Intriguing. Okay, my second one is called Wonderland by Juno Dawson, and it's out at the end of May. And you're going to immediately recognize that this is yet another twist on Alice in Wonderland. Yay! Yes. Love a classic twist. Right? So, Alice lives in a world of stifling privilege and luxury, but none of it means anything when your own head plays tricks on your reality. When her troubled friend Bunny goes missing, Alice becomes obsessed with finding her. On the trail of her last movements, Alice discovers a mysterious invitation to Wonderland, the party to end all parties. Three days of hedonistic excess to which only the elite are welcome. Okay. Will she find Bunny there? Or is this really a case of finding herself? Because Alice has secrets of her own, and ruthless socialite queen Paisley Hart is determined to uncover them, whatever it takes. Alice is all alone, miles from home and without her essential medication. She can trust no one, least of all herself, and now she has a new enemy who wants her head. Okay. Right? I'm intrigued because I don't exactly know what is going to happen here. I mean, obviously, we've got a very familiar narrative that we all know. So the reason I'm flagging this is because Juno Dawson is a trans author. Mm Mm-hmm. And what really caught me was that line about her essential medication. Mm. So I don't know if this is a mental health issue or if it maybe has some element of trans that uh, Juno is working on. Mm-hmm. If you check Juno Dawson's Goodreads profile, it says previously published under and then there's a dead name. Mm. So I'm like, okay, cool. Trans author who's writing interesting twists on classic narratives. That's reason enough for me to profile it. Yeah, I'm here for all of that. Yeah, so that that is Wonderland, and it's out on May 28th. Right on. Okay, well, speaking of trans narratives, my last Mm. choice is also um, by an Own Voices writer uh, writing about trans mask experiences, which the big trans narrative titles that have come across in YA have tended to be about trans women. So I was excited to see this come across my list. 
It's also getting flagged as being perfect for fans of David Levithan, Becky Abertelli, and Jenny Hahn, which oh, sort of like check and check. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is like 100% written for us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So the book is called Stay Gold by Tobley McSmith. So also, we have an outsider's play on words. I'm here mm, for it. Yep. Our protagonist is named Pony, in fact. Ah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so Pony just wants to fly under the radar during senior year. Tired from all the attention he got at his old school after coming out as transgender, he's looking for a fresh start at Hillcrest High. But it's hard to live your best life when the threat of exposure lurks down every hallway and in every bathroom. Georgia is beginning to think there's more to life than cheerleading. She plans on keeping a low profile until graduation, which is why she promised herself that dating was officially a no-go this year. <laughs> then on the very first day of school, the new guy and the cheerleader lock eyes. How is Pony supposed to stay stealth when he wants to get close to a girl like Georgia? And how is Georgia supposed to keep her promise when sparks start flying with a boy like Pony? Don't keep your promise, Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, stay Gold is a story about finding love and finding yourself. So there have been a lot of reviews of this one on Goodreads from people who had advanced copies. And okay. I would say generally people are excited, particularly about having a trans mask narrative to read yes, yes. in a YA context. <laughs> a lot of people have pointed out that in many ways it is very much a gender flipped if I was your girl. Right. Okay. But we loved If I Was Your Girl. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Is that a critique? Because exactly. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I know. And again, I think it's one of those things we've been talking about a lot is – um. Critics have got to get out of the mindset that we can only have one of each of these kinds of stories, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I am here for a gender flipped if I was your girl. I'm here for an outsider's reference. And I am here for Stay Gold mm -hmm. by Topley McSmith, which is out May 26th. Fantastic. So my final pick, I couldn't do a forecast without doing some kind of mystery thriller, Brenna. Obviously. <laughs> hey, I've got a brand to protect here. Listen, I hear it. I hear it. <laughs> So my final pick is called I Killed Zoe Spanos by Kit Frick. It's out on June 30th. So when I saw this title on your list, I was mm -hmm. like, is this a book about Saved by the Bell? Because <laughs> the answer is no. I thought it was about Jesse Spano. Go on. Look, <laughs> I'm not talking about Saved by the Bell. I'm not talking about the new Saved by the Bell, which is coming to the Peacock Network. Woo! Even I can't get excited about it. It looks really bad. It looks so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> Let us never mention it again. Okay, so the book, I Killed Zoe Spanos, is about Anna Sacconi. She arrives to the small Hamptons village of Heron Mills for a summer nanny gig, where she has high hopes for a fresh start. So what she finds instead is a community on edge after the disappearance of Zoe Spanos, a local girl who has been missing since New Year's Eve. Anna bears an eerie resemblance to Zoe, and her mere presence in town stirs up still raw feelings about the unsolved case. Ooh. As Anna delves deeper into the mystery, stepping further and further into Zoe's life, she becomes increasingly convinced that she and Zoe are connected, and that she knows what happened to her. Two months later, Zoe's body is found in a nearby lake, and Anna is charged with manslaughter. But Anna's confession is riddled with holes, and Martina Green, teen host of the Missing Zoe podcast, isn't satisfied. Did Anna really kill Zoe? And if not, can Martina's podcast uncover the truth? And here's the real reason why I latched onto this. Inspired by Daphne du Maurier's Rebecca, Kit Frick weaves a thrilling story of psychological suspense that twists and turns until the final page. Teen Rebecca? Yes, please. 
I love that it is sort of also about a true crime podcast. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's amazing. Yes, please. How much would I be listening to the Missing Zoe podcast? Yeah, I would absolutely be listening thing, to it. Right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so this one got highlighted by Bustle as the YA thriller for the summer season. Like, this is their top pick. So that is I Killed Zoe Spanos, and it is out on June 30th. Nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. Okay, I will read it. And you had an honorable mention too, did you not, my friend? I did. So this is one that passed me by, but I wanted to flag it. It's a film. We sometimes talk about films. We usually just talk about the books. But in this case, I thought this sounded interesting enough that I wanted to highlight it. So it is a recent teen drama called Sella and the Spades. It is written and directed by Taya Risha Poe. It is her feature debut. So here's the description. In the closed world of an elite Pennsylvania boarding school, Haldwell, the school body is run by five factions. 17-year-old Sella Summers runs the most dominant group, the Spades, with unshakable poise as they cater to the most classic of vices and supply students with coveted illegal alcohol and pills. Tensions between the factions escalate, and when Sella's best friend, right hand, Maxie, becomes distracted by a new love, Sella takes on a protege, enamored sophomore Paloma, to whom she imparts her wisdom on ruling the school. But with graduation looming and Paloma proving an impressively quick study, Sella's fears turn sinister as she grapples with losing the control by which she defines herself. This sounds really good. <laughs> so the reviews mostly suggest that the narrative itself is a little bit too familiar, like you're not really getting too, too much new. Yeah. But I think it's really interesting because we're talking about a first-time Black female writer-director and the lead performance by Lovey Simone, the actress who plays Sella, is apparently awe-inspiring. Like, you can't take your eyes off of her. Oh. And the protege, Paloma, she documents everything. Like, she's a videographer. So you're getting to see the footage of this girl, the way that it's being edited and framed by her protege. Nice. Honestly, from what I've seen of clips in the trailer of this film, which is available on Amazon Prime in case people are wondering, it's already out. It came out in late April. Right on. It's shot really interestingly. Like there's this one clip that people can find. Maybe I'll link to it in the show notes. But Please. it's basically just Sela breaking down how women are treated. Like she's the captain of the cheerleading squad, in case you couldn't tell from the description. Mm. And she talks about how they dress the way that they want. They do the cheers and the routines that they want. And it's all about like her asserting her control, which is like the purpose of the narrative. But the way that Lovey Simone delivers this soliloquy mm. and the way that it's shot and edited, it's like teen girl empowerment. And I totally am here for it. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So just on that alone, like I haven't actually seen the movie, but based on that clip alone, I was like, I'm interested in this film. I also really like Gina Torres. Yeah, it's got a good adult cast as yeah. well. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> okay, so that is Sila and the Spades, and it is available on Amazon Prime now. Nice. All right. Well, Joe, mm -hmm. I think we've given people lots of stuff to think about. This is true. We've thrown a lot of topics and titles <laughs> at you, folks. <laughs> lots of things to check out. Uh, lots of stuff to look forward to. I don't know if you're finding the same thing, Joe, but the little things to look forward to. Really doing yeah. a lot of heavy lifting right now. Yeah, it's true. Just finding something that you can connect with that you actually enjoy. Yeah. It's uh, it's a powerful thing right now. <sighs> yeah. And um, 
yeah, I just hope our listeners are all doing okay. We're thinking about you and yeah, be well, keep yeah. safe. Let us know if any of these resonated with you. Hashtag HKHSPod on the Twitters. Love to know if you are anticipating any of these titles alongside us or if you know of something else coming out in May and June that you want us to share with people and retweet to the listeners. Let us know. Mm-hmm. If you want to share longer list of recommendations, hkhspod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. If you want to talk to just Joe about, I would say if you want to continue to talk to him about Percy Jackson, he'd be really excited about that. <sighs> you know what? <laughs> Start something with me. <laughs> How do they find you if they want to talk to you about Percy Jackson? And Chris Columbus, especially Chris Columbus and his directorial style. You know what? I'm taking a social media sabbatical. So if you want to talk to me about Percy Jackson and Chris Columbus, I'm unreachable. If you want to talk to me about queer lady pirates or black cheerleaders or any of that good Or Canadian stuff, cinema. Or Canadian cinema. I can be reached at B Stole My Remote. And that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. And next week we are, I think we've already teased it. We're looking mm-hmm. at trinkets. Yes? Yes. 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 Yeah, so the book, and then there's the Netflix TV show, 10 episodes, and each of those episodes are under 30 minutes. Finally, evidence of a higher power. I know. (laughs) Again, we're talking about teenage girls. We're talking about shoplifting. we got a little queer romance. Yes. I'm excited, Brenna. Yeah, I am too, actually. I really am. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.